did you put in a full two weeks at Target or uh, were you just like, I'm done? Peace. Oh, this is a fun story. So I was like off that week when I found out I got the job. I took that week off before because I was um, getting a vasectomy. And so, hell yeah, love it, dude. Same day, just square away our future in all sorts of ways. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, like, that was the same day I got my vasectomy. That morning, I found out I got the job. <laughs> so it was just like, <laughs> it was a very. Wait, you're like, wait a second, I have the money to to have kids in the future. Let me cancel the vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was like, as soon as they uh told me I got the job. Uh, they were like, um, when can you start? Do you need to give your job two weeks? I was like, oh, I will start today. And then uh, I got the vasectomy. And then two days later, I uh, put on my best clothes and I went to Target. And I was just like, I need to speak to the uh, store manager. And she comes out. She's like, what's going on? I was like, well, you know, in the interview, I told you I do, you know, entertainment. Uh, I got my dream job. So uh, I am quitting effective today. And she was just like, I wish we could have got two weeks notice. I was like, mm, sorry. <laughs> These tools are for you to Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. Welcome. My guest today is an old friend of mine, Patrick Rowland. He is a writer on The Amber Ruffin Show on Peacock. He wants you to know Peacock is free. You can see the show there for free. You can also click on the link in the show notes and get there. Pat's great. Amber Ruffin is amazing. And he deserves for you to check out his work. So do that. In fact, Pat deserves a lot of things. He deserves all the greatest things in life. I'm a huge Pat Rowland fan. And a big part of the reason I wanted to talk to him is because he got this job writing for Amber Ruffin last year. And he posted, I forget where exactly, but he posted about how he had to quit his job at Target to take the job on The Amber Ruffin Show. And it just reminded me, I've known Patrick as a guy, he worked at the post office, I don't think when we first met. We met a while ago doing improv in Chicago, did a sketch show together at Second City that we were both cast in, and He's just been, I don't love the word grinding, but he's been working consistently without much complaint for a long time. And then he shares the news that he got hired for the Amber Ruffin show. And I'm just like, oh my God, of course, amazing. Like, this is a dude who has just been doing the thing people say you should do, which is do good work, be nice to work with. Don't complain. I mean, complaining is tough. Uh, I, I, w- I would say don't complain, you know, in public uh, as much. But uh, I, I don't know if, if Pat even complains in private that much. Anyway, I don't know why I got on a, on a complaint tangent. Point being, Pat Rowland is a supremely good dude who has been working hard for a long time and is living his dream right now. And that's very inspiring to me, and I think it should be inspiring to a lot of people. So if you have not heard of Patrick Rowland before, I'm happy to introduce you 
to him. If you want to get more familiar with his work, you can also click on the link in the show notes to view Patrick Rowland's sketch show on YouTube. He also is part of a group called Three Pete. Um, they're an improv group, a sketch group. My very first guest on this show, this is your afterlife, Shantira Jackson. She is also a member of Three Pete. So uh, this is your afterlife has a deep history with Three Pete. And so I am done tugging the boat now, and we will get into the episode. Before we do, I want to thank my Pigeon-level subscribers on Patreon, Susie Carroll, Fred Fidawa, Kurt Chang, and Katie Llewellyn. You can get a shout-out yourself. You can also hear the full unedited audio of these episodes, and you can hear the debrief podcast, This Is Your After Show, by going and becoming a Patreon subscriber. That link is in the show notes, but if you want to type it right into a web browser right now, you can go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. Just remember, this show is run on word of mouth. Word of mouth is how I connect with people. So if you could pass along that word with your mouth, I would be very appreciative of that. Some other ways you can do that, you can leave a review in your in your podcast app, you can subscribe to the show. You can take a class with me, learn storytelling or just in general beef up your artistic practice if you're feeling in a rut. You can email me at this is dave mar at gmail.com to find information about my workshops. And in general, if you have suggestions for the show, if there's a thought on a question you think I should ask a guest, send me an email. Okay, so all of that out of the way, please enjoy my delightful conversation with the lovely Patrick Rowland. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like paint your hell. Hell customized for you. My hell would be um, not being able to do what I love. And like, I've had nightmares where I've found myself back at the post office. I literally think being back at the post office would be my hell because it was so soul crushing and so depressing. And it's like, I worked indoors. So in the building, there were no windows. So you oh, made, you weren't like on a route or anything. No, I okay. I I was like, no, my legs ain't doing that. And Chicago weather, <laughs> no, thank you. Because uh, sure. I had the opportunity to either pick uh, from the test. I was. They said you pass to become a letter carrier or mail handler. And mail handler works inside. They make a little less money, but I was just like, I'm going inside. I can't be out in these streets. But it was like <laughs> so depressing because all I did was go to work, come home, go to sleep, wake up, go to work. That was my whole life. The post office was my life. All my friends were at the post office. I vacationed with my coworkers, and that's weird. <laughs> and it was just- I don't know. But was that, how was that job worse than like Groupon? Because um, Groupon's top, uh, among the worst jobs I've had. Yeah, I think I was at Groupon and the sweet spot before like they got really shitty- and I was doing customer service, which I hate, but I don't know, because they were like, mm, no, mm, we're this new startup company. Here's here's lunch on us. And I was just like, ooh. Right. Isn't this, isn't okay, this you bought into their whole, like, 
we're I a did. family. Like, here's the new flavor of LaCroix shit. I was so stupid, but I did. I bought it. So just okay. like, you care about me. But I was only there for like six weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't work that long. That's amazing. Okay. So the post office was the, and it, so it's the monotony of yes, it that monot- makes it hellish. Yeah. Just a monotony. Feel like there's no purpose to my life but to to feed into this company and then die. Because like that's what happened. People be there for 40, 50 years, and then they would retire. And every time the next week they would die. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, they have they felt like they're have no purpose. There's like, oh, I don't need to get up to go anywhere. Might as well just die. <laughs> Wait, literally like you like remember multiple people that this happened to? Yes. How would you get word of this? They would tell us. Like, uh, we would always get, like, uh, they would post it on the cork board near the time clock. Like, oh, so-and-so <laughs> passed away. Or somebody that worked It's like there. a literal time clock. Like, time on your life clock. <laughs> Don't forget the clock out. <laughs> or ever. <laughs> yeah. But, wow. Yeah. Or, like, somebody would tell us, like, oh, you know, Ada died. Just like, she just retired. <laughs> and, like, that I'm is. Still- friends with people at the post office like on facebook and whatnot and I, that's all they would post is like so-and-so died so-and-so died so-and-so died it was just like ugh, it's hell i couldn't take it what do you hope happens when you die i hope that uh i get to see all the people I love who have passed before me or will pass after me. Um, and that, I don't know. I just, what, all the things that make me happy, I can experience. And I look like this. <laughs> like now? Yeah, like now. You'll like- take, cause you're, I think you're like a tat, I'm 37. How old are you? 45. Okay. Yeah. Damn, dude, you definitely look better than me. But you're down with 45 year old Pat. Yeah, I feel like I'm at my least. I, I, I'm the best version of myself right now. Out of all okay. that I've been through, I feel like I'm at my best version of myself. So you're basically down with like another Earth, essentially. Yeah, I love that. We're okay. just like nothing bad happens. <laughs> you can okay. Just do whatever you want, but. There's no malice. It's just all fun. <laughs> are the things that you, what are the things that you enjoy doing that you'd want to experience? Traveling. Um, just having fun. <laughs> Improvising, believe it or not. Like, that was, it was a happy <laughs> place for me. You're the only person who said they want to do improv in the afterlife. I'm, like, I'm still like, yeah, like there's, a, um, I talked to a lot of folks who have like, you know, um, either been got writer's rooms or like on TV shows and they're just like, I'm done with improv. I will never improvise again. I was just like, I still want to improvise. I still have fun doing it. Uh, even more now because I'm not in that mind frame of like, uh, competitively trying to like, ooh, I got to be the best. I can't wait to get on main stage or a tour co or some bullshit like that. Now it's just like, oh, I I do shows that I want to do that are fun. Not like, ooh, I need to get stage time so people can see me and put me in their shows. It's like, I just want to do what I want to do. 
Right, because it's like there's like a bell curve somehow of like you start it because you're having fun mm-hmm. and it's just enjoyable. And then it dips into this weird time where you're enjoying it so much that you want to turn it into something. And then by trying to turn it into something, you stop enjoying it because all you're thinking about is trying to turn it into something. But then you did turn it into something and now you're able to go back to the early days of uh, being a baby and just enjoying learning yeah. about the world. Yeah. <laughs> do you, where do you perform now? Uh, right now, um, at Westside comedy theater, uh, in Santa Monica. That's they, out of all the improv theaters I've been to out here, they're the more community oriented one. All the other ones are just like people. there are just like mm, my agent told me to, do improv so I can get these auditions. And a lot of people at Westside do it for the love and just for fun, which I enjoy. Word. What other than improv would you want in this, in this afterlife? Um, good food. <laughs> like what? Um, I don't know. Just, that's a good question. I never really thought about it. Because it's like, yeah, I want like this heaven-esque type of vibe where everybody's just, I don't know, everybody's just chill and nobody's serious, taking things too seriously. And we're just about enjoying our life <laughs> or afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the things that you would want to remove from, like you said, malice, mm-hmm. but like, are there specific behaviors like is it possible for you to imagine this kind of like utopia or you're or like do you think you'd ever get bored or get um or does it feel possible you know what would be like the obstacles to having that obstacles i don't know i think like i don't know i don't know that's a good one that's another one uh i just uh i I just want people to have fun and be cool and not have to worry about anything <laughs> or I don't know. Just people don't be dicks, <laughs> but sure. like, that's one of those things too of like, but to have like this perfect utopia, like people are going to be, they're going to be jerks. They're going to be people that are, that'll get upset. And cause if you take all that shit away, it's like almost stripping them of free will and they almost become like these robotic stuff for things of like everything's happy welcome sir and you're just like mm, what's going on here so i think that could be a, a a kind of thing like how it is in the matrix nerd again of like yeah like oh the previous matrix matrixes failed because they created this perfect utopia and people's natural instincts are like mm, this ain't right <laughs> this isn't real and then right we want a little bit of misery in there yeah you need, I guess, you need some of the bitter to make the sweet. So, but what you would want is somehow to have that kink ironed out and go. No, uh, no one in my afterlife wants to be miserable. They yeah. all want it to be as good as it is. Yeah, I want everybody just to be like, you know, like they they just materialize, they spawn. It's like, oh shit, I died. Oh, this place is nice. Hey, I don't feel the burden of. Uh, having to get a job or the burden of doing this or having to look 
like this for people or behave like this. I can just be myself. And like, all of a sudden you have this calmness about you. Hey, it's Dave. I'm not talking to the guest right now. I just want to let you know, I intentionally construct these episodes to allow my guests to speak as much as possible. But if you enjoy the perspective of mine that does come through in this podcast and you want to hear more from me, please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Hella Immaculate. There is a link in the show notes that you can click and sign up right away. You can also go to my website, thisisdavemar.com. What you'll get is every week an essay from me and basically a mood board of links, sometimes mutual aid fundraisers and music that I recommend. It's like we're in a conversation and hopefully I'm sharing cool stuff with you. I'm either your cool friend or your slightly anxious friend, probably both. Anyway, if you like hearing from me and you want to hear more, subscribe to Hello Immaculate. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. Funeral planning. Mm -hmm. What thoughts do you have? Where would you, um, not, not even just where, just what do you want there? Who do you want there? Um, any thoughts you have about your funeral? My funeral, uh, I want to be cremated or my body donated to science. Um, so they can, I don't know, do whatever and get better at keeping people to live longer. Uh, okay. Funeral, I want it to be a party. I want it to be like, I want everybody, I don't want sadness. Although it would be sad because I'm gone and people are going to miss me. But um, I, 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 I like it when it's a celebration, not where it's just all crying and depressing. Everybody's in black and it's so sad. Like, like celebrate my life. Celebrate your life. Celebrate being with uh family and friends i just want i i, I want them i want them to throw a big party just a big ass party <laughs> like what kind of party like what would it look like uh it'd be music and drinks it kind of be like a loungy like chill type of vibe uh okay. people would like people would perform maybe like somebody reads some poetry or somebody sings a song or uh somebody uh does stand up or something it's just like i don't know just a fun event where people are just like that was so fun <laughs> be karaoke and shit like that are there specific pieces of art like poems or songs that you would want dedicated to you nope nah no nah just whatever people feel yeah whatever what whatever inspired them right like whatever <laughs> whatever my death inspired maybe they're just <laughs> like oh you know what he would always uh he always liked uh parody songs so i wrote this parody song that i'm going to sing is that true do you like parody songs i love parody songs <laughs> it was like one of the um and i didn't even realize it till i got on the show and like one of the things i loved about the writing packet for that show they said don't write what you think we want to see on the show write what you want to see on the show and I was just like, oh, yeah. So I like, I love, like, I'm always changing the words to songs. So I wrote a parody song. Um, instead of, it was a parody of uh, that few of my favorite things. Mm -hmm. uh, it was about um, the Republicans. It was because right after the insurrection. So I was like, these are a few of their treasonous things. <laughs> and I would just list off all the shit they did. 
And then the first song I or the first sketch I got on the show was that first week I started working there, and it was a parody song of Ghostbusters, and it was about ghost guns. <laughs> ghost guns? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, right. Yeah. What What is the ghost gun thing? Uh, this they, is like ringing a bell. Yeah, they don't have serial numbers or like their gun kits you can order online that aren't fully uh, uh, firearms, so it doesn't count as a firearm. It's like 80% of a firearm. Uh, And then people put them together at their homes, and they're like basically guns you can't trace. Right, 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 right. Cool. Cool country. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just crushing it. Like, we need more guns, and even guns you can't trace. (laughs) Yeah. So... Do you have you told people in your life that this is what you want um, for your funeral? I've told my mother, but not really, because like uh, I always like to say, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> like sure. I, don't, I don't plan on dying, which is like it's a, but I would love to live forever. Every time I see movies where a person's immortal and they're just like, oh, I just want to, just want this dinner. It's like you. You suck. I, I would. I would. Dude, love yes, yes. Oh my god, I agree with this so much. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay, so here are the arguments for people who are like, "Oh, I wouldn't want to be immortal." A, um, it would get boring. Mm. B, I would have to see all the people I love die. Yeah. Um. Uh. Those are the two big. How do you respond to those? I. I'm like. Eh, I mean, it sucks to watch people you love die, but. Yeah, I, I like people die. It's it's a it's a thing. Um, and maybe like sometimes I feel like, uh, am I a robot? It's like I get sad when like family members pass on, but I I I keep going because it's like they would want me to keep going. I'm not going to stop my life for them. Um, and also, I don't think it would get boring. Like, can you imagine? Like, I always think like I would have loved to have seen or been on the Titanic, <laughs> knowing that like, well. I'm not gonna die. <laughs> sure, you're like, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this, but I've got years. So either I'm gonna become an explorer, or I'm gonna slowly learn how to swim while in the Atlantic, or something. But it's like, yeah, it's just like to go through to see how civilization progresses and all these different eras, and just to see have all these different experiences. Like life is about just different experiences, and like I want to experience everything i'm greedy i want to see it all i'm with you man that that's a thing that bothers me it also when people say they're like not afraid of death i'm like i don't believe you i don't believe you yeah it was like i was watching me and silver watching amazing race and they had uh one of the two of the contestants were the guys that were that movie was made of uh when they were on a train in France and they had somebody boarded with an AK-47. Oh, right, right. So they were just like, mm, so now since we've conquered death, we're not afraid of it. I was like, hey, you didn't conquer death. You stopped the guy with AK-47. But you like, if I were to like threaten your life, le- legitimately you thought you were going to die, you'd be afraid. Like, Yeah, right. It's nothing that- wrong with being afraid to die because it's just like, it's that point where you're just like, uh, if you're uber religious you're gonna have that little doubt of like but what if there isn't an afterlife and this is just it this is it (laughs) i'm gone you're gonna have that small doubt creep in your mind and you're gonna like be afraid or even if you don't believe in afterlife this is like well this is it nothing else i'm not gonna experience everything i won't exist 
it's over. <laughs> How can you right. not be afraid of that? There was this thing that people told me after I woke up from my coma where people would be like, whoa, I guess um, I guess bombing on stage doesn't really matter anymore because you did this, right? Or it's like this yeah. this idea that like um, you experience something extreme mm-hmm. and then it puts the whole world and everything that really matters into relief and you finally get to see it. And it's like, Maybe it does that for a a, a, a brief moment, but mm-hmm. then you go back to mundane life and where like you get caught up in bullshit. Like, of course, bombing on stage is terrible. You know, <laughs> I wish that this extreme experience would erase that fear. <laughs> um, I wish I were not afraid of death, but in some ways I'm more afraid than ever. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, it. It can happen. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. And like, did I did I fuck something up by cheating it this time? You know. Yeah, the final destination thing's gonna happen now. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, yeah, the whatever the story about like fate. You like, you like try to you go you go to another city to try to escape death, and yeah. then. And because like, there's like a story about like, oh, someone like sees death in their town. Um, and so then they like quickly like pack other things and like run off to some other city. And then the very next day they like open the door and death's right there. And they're like, what? I thought I like escaped you. And death was like, yeah, I thought that was weird. Cause I was supposed to meet you here today. Like I didn't see you when I saw you there yesterday, I was very confused. And it's just like, yeah, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And so if this thing that seemed like it was supposed to happen, you die, you get you get shot on the train, whatever, didn't happen, then it's like it's hard to describe. It's just like an eerie feeling. Yeah, I like cuz when I was like 17, I don't know if you know this, but I like got shot in the back when I was 17, almost died. Um was in surgery for what six, seven hours. The bullet hit every organ except for my heart and my liver, I think. And one bullet hit every organ. Yeah, I was shot with a twenty-two. Uh, and with twenty-twos, what makes them dangerous is they ricochet a lot. When they get in your body, they just ricochet. So I got hit Jesus in the back, Christ. and it ricocheted and hit all the organs and ended up in the back of my leg. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, and that's why like the surgery Is it 22 a handgun or a rifle? Handgun. It's a handgun? Yeah. Okay. Little tiny handgun, little small bullet and it just zigzagged and hit a That bullet. is fucking insane. I've never I've heard of it of like the fact that bullets will like break apart mm-hmm. and like be like little like shards yeah. sometimes or get lodged in someone's body. But I've never they literally ricochet? Mhm. Yeah. God damn. Okay, yeah. so you're in the you're in the operating room for a really long time. Yeah. Six, seven hours they they were working on me. Because they had to trace the path of the bullet and repair everything it hit. So, like, Jesus. my intestines, my stomach, um, everything. <laughs> and then, and that relates to the eerie feeling how? It's it's one of those things of like now I, ever since then I've always been super cautious like I no matter where I walk I'm constantly looking over my shoulder uh anytime uh 
I'll get an eerie feeling or something like that. If I'm in a situation where I think it's not safe, I will exit. No matter how silly it may seem, I'm like, I don't feel safe here. I got to go because shit's going to pop off at any minute. Uh, when I'm any, Every time I fly, I get nervous of like, is this 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 when it's going to happen? Is this plane going to go down? Any little turbulence? I Yeah. So it's not even like a fear of another gun. It's just a fear of danger. That and another gun. Like, sure, I, sure, sure, sure. Constant, like, and I have friends who, like, one of them, he opened up uh, um, teaching people how to shoot to get their conceal and carry license, and I hate it. Because I was just like, I don't think concealed carry should be a thing. Like, ooh, I don't know who has a fucking gun, right? Why is Why are we hiding guns? I don't think that's cool. So, and... Fourth of July, New Year's is always very, uh, no pun intended, triggering for me because like yeah. the fireworks and like it reminds me of gunshots. So I'm like, I get very anxious and I, I just, in my mind, especially living in this fucking country where everybody does have a gun or wants one, I can't, I, I feel like in any moment I can get shot again. I still have nightmares about being shot where I'll wake up screaming. <laughs> Well, normally I like to ask people, what's your coma? Like a moment where before you were one person and after you're another person. Um, And I would love to explore this shooting moment more, unless you're like, fuck that. I want to talk about something else. No, I'm good. I'm good with it. So, so would you say, like, did it feel like, do you look back at pre gunshot Patrick and post like, are there differences you can say between those two things? Yeah, definitely. Um, pre shot Patrick. Uh, I was, I think even more friendlier than I am now. I think I was more open and like, uh, I don't want to say happier, but I was a little bit more carefree uh, and innocent because like I grew up in a bad neighborhood and I was aware of like gangs and drugs and all that shit. But I where, was, where did you, you didn't grow up in Chicago? Did you? Yeah. What side of Chicago? Where? Uh, in the Austin area. It's like right okay. near Oak Park. Okay. Um, yeah. We were like right on the edge, which was so weird. Cause you cross the street and it's like all nice. And then you right. come over to the West side and it's just like, I'm going to die. <laughs> sure. Um, but I was I was a lot more carefree and I'd say naive. Uh, and then, like, after being shot, just like, oh, well, the world is out to get me. I hate a lot of shit now. <laughs> and I could be a, a little bit more cynical. So you're set, was it just, like, a stray bullet in the neighborhood? No, they thought I was somebody else. Oh, they, shit. They, someone they, shot at you. Yeah. Yeah. They were aiming at me. They were aiming for me. Like we were walk, I was walking with my girlfriend at the time and her sister and I see this group of guys and they're like, what's up? And this is pre-shot Pat. I'm like, hi, (laughs) right? Just being all high, not realizing like these are like some nefarious looking people. Uh, And so we're walking and all of a sudden they start following us and we turn down the side street and uh, somebody just comes up, approaches me, 
hits me, I take off and I just start hearing gunshots. Uh, and that's when like uh, my leg locked up on me and I hit the ground and I couldn't breathe. I didn't even feel the bullet hit me. I think my body went into shock. Um, but yeah, I hit the ground and luckily there was uh, a cop like a block away that heard the gunshots and came over. Because who knows, if they didn't show up, maybe they would have finished me off. But as soon as the cop came, they ran away. Like I I could feel them jump over me and run as the cop was coming. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> why were you such a, a, like, I don't know why perky is the word coming to my mind. Why were you such like a perky kid? I don't, I really don't know because like, I, I think maybe it was cause how I was raised, but like my brother was raised in the same household, but he could like get to anger really quickly. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like I watched a lot of cartoons growing up. I don't, I, I, I really don't know the answer to that question. Um, why I was like, just so just happy. Like there would be times where, people were listening to NWA and I was listening to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I was like a person that didn't like conflict and I, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know why. Can I, I just, I like, we, we like, we can cut anything you want. So, you know, but I'm curious. Does that, moment affect how you feel about cops now no it's very complicated because like i experienced racist cops i've got i've been pulled of course i've been harassed by cops for no fucking reason but also in the same breath if it wasn't for that cop i'd probably be dead they worked very quickly to get ambulance there and to like save my life. They like a reason I'm here today, but it doesn't negate those horrible cops. <laughs> so it's like, it's a mixed feeling of like, I think when I will say shit like fuck the police or all that type of things, it's because I I'm aiming it towards all those crooked cops, all those bad ones. It's not like all cops are bad. When I say these cops suck, it's like, I'm talking about the ones that suck, the ones that are, corrupt the ones that are racist the ones that are uh on the take um just like if i say all men are trash it's like i don't literally mean all tra- men are trash i just mean the trashy men <laughs> right but there's something about the institution oh yeah of like or or even being like all white people suck it's like white like Kind of yes, like though to the extent that any person identifies like as white, to mm. the extent that they like create like center n- traditional manhood or fucking being a cop, yeah, at their center, yeah, fuck that, right? Yeah. I mean, like yes, not fuck you as a human being, but like fuck you as a cop like i don't you know not to put words in your mouth this is my opinion um i don't i don't know it it is it's i i think it's really interesting to 
to to have the experience of being a black man in America that mm. you know you would have with cops and to have a weird rare experience where you're given like one of these random mm-hmm. like uh y- you weirdly have an anecdote of a positive inter uh, of an extremely positive interaction with a yeah. police officer yeah it's 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 weird it's like yeah the institution of just police i mean it was f- basically founded uh to hunt down slaves uh yeah right and just like oh well something that was like at its core <laughs> was created through race and racism like yeah they're not changing shit almost like how we can't change shit at second city or io just like oh <laughs> yes built in it now and it's hard to like you just like oh we'll just we'll just cut out these bad behaviors like you you're not it's it's still there in some way or form and then it's gonna grow and get worse again it's like you just need to throw it all the way and start over <laughs> yeah all improv teachers are bastards <laughs> yes <laughs> a, not quite as catchy as a cab but you know <laughs> i don't know what it would be Fu- instead of fuck 12 it's like fuck level five or something like that i don't know <laughs> right. um yeah yeah that's so, so you see this moment as kind of just like a weird anomaly like i can't explain it the cop happened to be the guy close by, or I guess you didn't even say guy, but the cop happened to be the person close by who um, saved my life. Hopefully it would have been someone else if it weren't the cop kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't care who saved my life. Look, just saved my life. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weird relationship uh, or it's just a weird thing I have. Cause like, yeah, I'll see police and I automatically, my first instinct is to like, you know, all right, don't do anything to get shot by them now. Right. right. Um, there's always like some kind of anxiety I have when I see police uh, and they could be smiling and be like the friendliest looking person, but I see the uniform and I see being harassed. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. It's like what is, the uniform represents. So even you said, before getting shot, you were like, e- you said even more happy-go-lucky, you know, smiley, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So still acknowledging that you still, you know, present pretty like friendly and and uh, and fun and and you know, rel- e- easy going. I mean. Did it did it change your mindset or did it change your behavior? Like the person you became afterward, did you get meaner? Did you get whatever? And has it changed, you know, with being like over 25 years since then, has it, has that, have you kind of backed away from that? Have you been to therapy about any of that? I have, I think afterwards I've withdrawn more. I won't be as like, I, I will keep, on a happy face, but like there'll be things that bother me inside that I just don't tell people. The only the only person that really knows me, me, I feel like is my wife. Like 
she's the only one I've really like just opened up about a bunch of shit that I've never told anybody, not my mother, not my brother, friends. I open up to her. Um, but yeah, before I met her, I, I kept everything inside except for happiness. I would always exude happiness, but inside I'm like, just like upset or depressed. Um, after I got shot, like they give you like, you know, I would get pain pills, painkillers. Uh, and after I got out of the hospital, I got like addicted to sleeping pills. Cause this was like, I want to, I don't know, just relax and not be so, ugh. Cause I was just like so nervous about everything. I used to DJ, and after I got shot, I stopped DJing as much because I couldn't go to the parties because I would just be terrified that something would happen at those parties. Um, so I kind of like retreated into myself. And then when I went to college for that one year, that's when uh, I found out about my good friend marijuana. Uh, and then <laughs> I started like smoking a lot of marijuana, and and I finally like did go to therapy. And the weird thing is, and I need to go to more therapy. Uh, but the reason I did go to therapy is because I was working at the post office and I was missing a lot of days. And so they were like, um, we're not going to pay you for these days unless like, what's going on with you? I was just like, Oh, I'm, j- I'm just depressed. Uh, I'll, I'll go to therapy so I can get paid. So I was just doing it just to placate them and get, uh, get wow. my checks. But when I was in therapy, like real shit came out. I tried to bullshit them and they were like, they got me saying real emotions. Next thing you know, I'm just like, and then this happened and this and this and this. And it was very therapeutic. Um, but then when I was able to get uh, the post office on my back, I stopped going to therapy like a dumbass. And I need to, I, I, I should go to therapy. I need to go to therapy. But also it's one of those things of, I'm afraid what's going to come out in therapy. Sure. Did, but, so it's interesting because before you talk about being a happy-go-lucky kid, mm-hmm. were, do you think you were holding other emotions back then too? No, I don't think so. I mean, like I've always been a shy, introverted person. Uh, and pre-shot Patrick, I was, I was a little bit more extroverted. I think. Okay. Um, and I would, I didn't care too much what people thought. No, that's a lie. I did care what people thought of me. Um, but I would, I would be more open. And then afterwards I was just like, "Mm, I don't, uh, I'm going to keep that, this thought to myself, or I'm going to keep this emotion to myself. Yeah. So was it the whole stretch between getting shot and then meeting your wife that was just like that, kind of pushing things down and keeping them in or was there anything else that like started to wear down on that um hiding or whatever so like like getting shot did two things like it made me a little bit more uh fearful of things and retreat but also in the same vein which is like an opposite it it i was like life is too short i need to do like i need to enjoy it because you never know when some jackass is going to shoot you. But it was a good 10 years. No, more than 10 years. It was like, it was a long lull where I felt like, I feel like my 20s, I wasted my 20s. I did nothing in my 20s but work at the post office. Like, there was like just 10 years from like me being 21 to 31. I was just at the post office. And that was my whole identity. That was life. I 
experienced nothing. And this is going to sound weird. And I wrote an article about it, but I felt like when I discovered improv, it opened me up. It let, I felt I was lucky enough to be in some, have good classmates and people that weren't too douchey uh, and more accepting. And that was one of those things like, I liked, I liked that I could be more open and like, not be afraid to crack that Simpsons joke because people will know my reference or they will like jump in with me and like laugh and have fun. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel judged for a minute. And then like improv reality set in. <laughs> um, what but, like, got you to the point of even taking the improv class? I saw a, a show um, uh, in 2006 Mad TV, the writers did a show. It was Mad TV, Writers on Hiatus, because I think that was when they had like the mm. writer's strike or something like that. And I love Mad TV. So I was like, oh, these tickets are affordable. I'm going to go see it. And mm-hmm. I went with my friend, uh, one of my coworkers, Tamika, and we went to go see it. And I was just like, oh, this is so fun. It's so pure joy on stage. And I was just like, I wonder, do they teach that in Chicago? So I went home and got on my computer and put in like improv school, Chicago and second city popped up. And like, I was like, I, I'll take classes, uh, writing classes. Cause I was like, I'm an introvert. I can be behind sure. the writing. And then when we read our sketches out in class, that's when I was just like, Oh, you know what? I have fun doing these characters. I'll take an improv class. <laughs> and it was, it was fun. I was like, Oh, I'm not being I'm not being judged because especially uh, in my old neighborhood or like even my old friends like you, you always have to like portray this thing of like you know I'm too cool for school right. and if I did something silly or goofy I would get roasted and if I <laughs> yeah. did that in class people would be like that's hilarious and I'm just like oh y'all get me <laughs> you understand me right right it's also funny that you were a lifelong Chicagoan who didn't know that second city existed it's so stupid because it like even my uncle he lived on the north side and he lived like right down the street from second city and i was like how did i not know about this place but improv wasn't a big thing in black communities at all it wasn't sure, right right so right i didn't even know it existed until i went to see that show i thought i was going to see a sketch show and i saw that they're improvising i was just like how the hell did they pull that off mm-hmm. i must learn these secrets <laughs> Because you go back to your computer and you're like, I wonder if they teach this in Chicago. It's like, uh, yeah, that's kind of like the main place they teach it, you know? <laughs> like, it started here. And yeah. Like, yeah. I learned about IO and annoyance and, and it's, yeah, like being able to get on stage and open up more. It was one of those things that I think helped me to um, be more open in life in general. And I was able to like, be a little bit more talkative to uh, people. And I think when I struck up my friendship with my wife at the museum, I, I credit it a little bit to improv and me being open. Cause usually I would just like go to work uh, and I won't say shit. I'll just like go work. Go at home. the museum? Museum of science and industry. Oh, yeah. right. Were we, were, were we at that party on the boat together? No. Where the lady jumped off. No. Do you know what I'm talking about? I that sounds familiar. There was a holiday party uh, on a boat on Navy Pier for Museum of Science and Industry people. And I, I got invited as 
I think Jeff Murdoch's plus one or something. Mm. And some lady who everyone worked with, like jumped off and they had to like stop the boat and like, it like stopped the part. You know, you weren't there for that. No, I wasn't for that. I think okay. I've only been to one like party at Kramer's side. No, two, like two of their holiday parties, but okay. They were anyway, <laughs> that's just a, which, so she worked with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how you, you struck up a conversation with her. Yeah. And we became friends. And then we, I, uh, she mentioned that she never had a good new year's Eve and I was doing a show at CIC chemically imbalanced comedy. And I was just like, Ooh, this would be a good way to peacock in front of her. And she can see me in my element crushing it as an improviser. Cause I thought like, Ooh, <laughs> not impressed women watching me improvise. <laughs> right. Fun show. And then we went to, uh, cause it was at a time I forgot. I remember Gary Richardson and it was a bunch of other people like, basically had like this building like there was improviser lived on the first floor and second floor and they had this big yeah on clark street yeah had this big new year's uh eve party and i went we went there after the show and we got drunk and uh we made out (laughs) and it was just like ooh. then like i didn't mention anything about it afterwards (laughs) but she like texted me like i think a week or so later was like we should talk about what happened at the party Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a, um, like a kind of epic experience to go from the, the way we just kind of overviewed it there from like, yeah, happy go lucky kid to 17 and getting shot to miserable at the post office to seeing an improv show to meeting your wife. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back. That's it. I, I'd, I'd love for you to come back and listen to the show next week. It's going to be a very good one. And that's that's all I'll say. But that's a, that's a huge understatement. And if you've made it to the end of this podcast and heard me say it's going to be a very good one, please pay attention to who the guest is next week and reach out to me and let me know that you caught just how much of an understatement that was. You can join the show's Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Marr. And yeah, until next week, remember, you are a mist. Human. And human beings, they do miracles.